Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. If you don't have some, if you, <laughs> thanks, Mark. If you don't have notes, go ahead and get them on the back, and we are going to jump right into it. Today, or t this Wednesday, is the third uh, part of a four-part series we're doing, looking at the end times and last things. The theological term or category is called eschatology. That being a word that means the study of the end times or last things. And so um, don't be intimidated by that word. It's just a, a word that is talking about study of last times. Last couple weeks we've been sort of in the weeds looking at different millennial views. And then uh, that was what we did week one. Week two we looked at uh, some specifics about Jesus' return. And the rapture and the tribulation and different views on that. You can find all of those if you missed the audio, or I think the video might eventually be up as well, and all the notes are on our website. By the way, you can find all of our past midweek fellowships, and every Sunday, uh, anything that's, you know, preaching or teaching done here at Cross Points on the website, good resource for you. You can find those. Last two weeks, uh, we have really been kind of in the weeds, and it's been a, an area where there's been differing views, and, you know, controversy to some degree between faithful Christians about, um, about what they believe about the timing of Jesus' return, about the, 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 the uh, specifics about his return and all of that, and millennial views. Tonight, we're going to personalize it a little bit and look more at what you can kind of call maybe personal eschatology. But that's not a very catchy phrase, so we're going we're gonna to call it what happens when you die. <laughs> and so we're going to look at a very personal aspect of, of the end times, like the end of our own life. Now here's the thing about tonight. Tonight actually is not very controversial at all. In fact, the vast majority of Christians would agree with, with each other on these issues and what I'm going to be speaking about tonight. Not, maybe not completely, but I think the vast majority of Christians would agree and are in unity on this. But I think this is one area where Christians are particularly ignorant. Uh, we just don't know much about this because we haven't thought deeply about it. Um, and so we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, for example, like, you know, you ask somebody what happens when you die. Some people may think we become kind of like angels or we just sort of float around in heaven on a cloud with a harp or whatever. Or maybe we think loved ones that have passed on or are angels now, and, and that's just not the case. So we're going to read through that. So we're going to talk a lot about heaven tonight. Um, does anybody want a book that I think is a really good, it, don't be intimidated by the size of it. It's kind of broken down into chapters, question and answer type format that makes it really easy to read and jump around in. It's written by a pastor, now author, uh, Randy Alcorn, who's been very instrumental in the um, pro-life movement in the past few decades. Just a wonderful uh, leader, wonderful author. And he has a book called Heaven. This is the last one. We usually have a good number of them in the Resource Center. This is the last one in the Resource Center. Calmate, chica. Okay, you can put your hand down. It's coming your way, Miss Ward. Um, we, but, so this is the last one if you want it, but you can order it on Amazon, and it is called Heaven by, um, by Randy Alcorn, and Amy Ward gets it because I saw her hand up there. First, so Jared, if you would take that back to Miss Amy. Let me read to you one little quote where he quotes Charles Spurgeon, of all people. And this is good. I think this will help kind of frame our time tonight. Christian, meditate much on heaven. 
it will help thee to press on and to forget the toil of the way. This veil of tears is but the pathway to the better country. This world of woe is but the stepping stone to a world of bliss. And after death, what cometh? What wonder world will open upon our astonished sight? So we're going to think about the resurrection, about heaven, about the eternal new heavens and new earth, and I hope it'll be an encouragement to us tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you for just being so gracious to us that we can gather and we can open up your word and we can read it freely. We know that there are many brothers and sisters around the world who do not have this blessing that we do tonight to gather in a very comfortable building and eat a good meal in the middle of the week and to, with no fear, uh, just open your word and uh, proclaim it, teach it, exhort one another, encourage one another in it. So we thank you for that. We know that's only possible because of Christ. And yet, as blessed as we are as Americans, in a way, this has made us at times maybe think too much about this world and not enough about the next. And so, as we thank you for the blessings of our circumstance, I do pray that you would give us uh, your grace to not be lulled to sleep by them, but that you would stir in us a longing for eternity, and you would stir in us a longing for the world and the age to come that you are recreating, and that it would burden our hearts to be better witnesses for you in our, in our time and place. Be glorified, we pray, and encourage your people. And as always, Lord, if there's anybody in this room tonight that's not trusting in Jesus, even as we talk about judgment and hell and heaven and resurrection and death, Lord, would you be so kind as to show them the beauty of Christ and cause them to turn away from trusting in themselves, put their hope and faith in Jesus. I pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to work through this outline, settle down in some areas, and go through other areas quicker. So we're essentially going to be handling four areas tonight. Death and the intermediate state, which maybe that's a new term to you. We'll explain it in just a moment. The resurrection. And then on the back, you, you'll see we're going to look at, the, at judgment for both believers and unbelievers. Many Christians uh, are surprised to find out that actually the Bible is very clear that believers will be judged. And then briefly we'll end with a, a look at the eternal state or the new heavens and the new earth. So death. Scripture, uh, under letter A there, speaks about different types of death. So when we say death, I think the first thing that you need to orient yourself to is that it is not the ceasing of existence. In fact, the Bible is utterly clear that every human being is, is, goes on forever. We, we, we exist from the point of our creation. Uh, we're not eternal like God, but we, we are immortal in that sense that we will exist forever. So even though we may die physically, we will exist forever. So there's different types of death spoken of in the scripture. One clearly is, I think, even primarily significantly as well as spiritual death. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 where, um, where Adam and Eve sin against God and they are, they are, uh, they are separated from God. They're judged, they're condemned and, and, uh, and excommunicated. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And um, that's when to be separated from God, even though they were still alive physically, 
There was a sentence of death on them spiritually uh, by God at that moment. And then we see that sort of spelled out more clearly in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5. Where the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sin. So we see this clear entrance of death into the world, spiritual death um, at, at, in the garden. That spiritual death to be separated from God then also had as one of its consequences physical death. So in Hebrews 9 verse 27, um, I don't know if we have it on the screen. You can see there that, um, do we have that Hebrews 9? And it, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment. So there's physical death, um, which is an aspect of death in the scripture as well. And then there is eternal death as well that is spoken of in the scriptures in Revelation 20, 13 through 15, Revelation 21 verse 8, where it speaks about the final judgment of the wicked and it says that they go into this, this eternal death. In fact, I'll read that. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And go to, yeah, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. But even then, and we'll look at this in a moment, that second death for those who are wicked and judged, unbelievers, it's not a ceasing of existence, which is um, a, a, a view called annihilationism, and we'll get into that in a second, that meaning like we cease to exist if we're, if we're not in Christ. So uh, we, we will exist forever, and death will be, this state of separation from God will be eternal. Okay, so let's now zero in on what happens to Christians when they die. Let her be there. After physical death, the believer goes immediately into the presence of the Lord, awaiting, and this is where a lot of the confusion comes, I think just maybe ignorance, awaiting the full consummation of their salvation and the reuniting of their soul and body. And I'm going to use the word soul and spirit here interchangeably. There's, I think, a little kind of minor debate amongst Christians about whether or not man is broken up into three parts, body, soul, and spirit, or is it, or soul and spirit kind of used interchangeably. I think, I mean, that's maybe a discussion worth having. We won't have it tonight. I think um, for the purposes of this discussion, we're using the word soul and spirit interchangeably. And the Bible uses the word soul and spirit interchangeably quite often as well. So we're not going to get into the weeds and thinking about the differences between that. But just know that I'm going to use those words interchangeably tonight. So clearly, the Bible teaches that at physical death, our bodies go into the ground and we are immediately with the Lord in, with our soul, our spirit is immediately with the Lord. Where do we get that from? Well, Luke chapter 23 verse 43 is the very well-known text where Jesus is on the cross and he um, speaks to the, to the thief on the cross next to him who at, right at the end of his life turned and trusted in Christ and he, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And Philippians uh, 1.23, Paul is is lamenting, you know, his, his place in life in this Roman prison. And he says to the Philippian church, I'm hard-pressed, pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So Paul had this sense that if he were to die, he would be with Christ. So then um, if you can, well, we'll draw that out in just a second. Let me look now at Paul's perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, flip to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5. This is a really important text, the first 10 verses. For we know that if the tent, meaning this temporary body that we have, that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, meaning this current body we have, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And by the way, those of you that are under the age of 30, kind of like, yeah, whatever. Those of you over the age of 40, you're like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I can remember reading this like, ah, my dad limps around. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. For, while, for verse 3, if indeed, okay, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit of guarantee. So notice this, this picture that Paul is saying. He's, he's saying, that I've given you the spirit that indwells us as a guarantee, and that's like a down payment. That's like earnest money on this house, this permanent house that he is building for you. And so there's this, there's this sort of in-between phase that, that we are in here. So verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So again, there's a clear sense that to be away from this body, to die, if our bodies go into the ground, we are with the Lord. In an intermediate sense, we'll see in a second. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he is, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul kind of gives us a, a longer narrative there of this, this state that believers are in right now and what happens at death is we wait for this kind of fully clothing while we're in this naked state of this intermediate state. Some unbiblical views uh, is this uh, notion of soul sleep. Oftentimes in the New Testament, the, the uh, writers will use the word sleep. Um, and some people in the history of the church have misinterpreted that as meaning a sort of like conscious, unconscious existence. Um, that's clearly not the case because we see in the, even the verses we've read that Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That there doesn't seem to be any sense of unconsciousness there. Uh, purgatory is a uh, Catholic... Um, and very, very unbiblical um, perspective that uh, if you grew up Catholic, I'm just going to push on you just a little bit right now. And, and so don't get too mad at me, but I grew up around a bunch of Catholics in, in Southern California. And I come from a family that used to be Catholic. And so um, I, I'm real familiar with, I think, the, the, I think, the danger of this idea of purgatory. Purgatory is this idea that um, there is a kind of like a third, a middle ground place for people, like a waiting ground that they go when they die. It's not hell and it's not heaven. And it's kind of a middle ground that you can, after you've died, you can be prayed out of. Okay? Um, if you have relatives who are, you know, doing good deeds and praying you out of it. Where does that come from? Because that is not in the Bible. Well, it comes from uh, a... a 
one of, one of the writings that is part of the intertestamental writing, the Apocrypha, which is a group of books that were written between the two testaments that neither the Jews nor the early church or anybody in the, the church, really the faithful sliver of the church, has accepted as, as being in the Bible, but it was literature that contains history of the Jewish people between the Testaments. Some of it has very helpful and true history, but it was never recognized as being divinely inspired and from God. And there is a passage in one of those books, Second Maccabees, that talks about this instance of praying for the dead to sort of release them from, you know, kind of their, their, where they are. And centuries later, in the early development of the Catholic Church, and I'm just, I'm not saying this to be unnecessarily harsh on the Catholic Church, but this is, I think, just the truth, is that as the Catholic Church was progressing, and their system became, you know, uh, kind of the way they, kind of a merit-based salvation system, and as they were building the Basilica in Rome, and they needed to um, fund a lot of the building of, of the, the the idea of attaching, um, uh, you know, merit to, to, to people giving to the church became kind of very convenient. And so what happened was, is, is giving to the church and things that you would do became sort of merits or good things that you could use to spring your dead relatives from this middle waiting place called purgatory. In fact, the, this doctrine of purgatory actually became one of the, the things that, 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 that incited Martin Luther and started this crazy little thing we like to call the Reformation. Because there was this, this uh, Catholic fundraiser going around Germany at the time and he had this little phrase, I can't remember exactly what it is, but he was, they were trying to raise money for the building of the Basilica, the, the cathedral in Rome, and it was something, it was like a little jingle, like a little commercial jingle, something along the lines of, you know, he's wanting people to give, and he says, you know, when the copper in the bowl doth ring, a soul from purgatory springs, <laughs> you know, and, and it was based on this sort of you know, obscure verse in 2 Maccabees that the Catholic Church puts in their Bible, which nobody in the history of the church, not the Jews in the Old Testament, Jesus, not anybody in the early church accepted as, as divinely inspired, but they put these in the Bible, I think, to help support their doctrine of purgatory, which then helps to support the financing of all these things that they wanted to do because it, it, it so, so that's kind of, and so Luther heard this and he just started, he was, at the same time he was reading his Bible and he just went berserk. And he, he I mean, he just went crazy. And that's kind of what started the, the, um, that's what caused him to nail the 95 Thesis to the door. There's a lot more to it. That's a big, I'm printing with broad brushes there. But <laughs> my point is, is purgatory is not in the Bible. That's where it came from. And it's not just unhelpful, friends. It's heretical. Because, do you see the danger in it? Do you see like, do you see, I mean, I think in the history of church, people think, well, you know, I can be a complete hellion and I got a grandma that'll pray me out, spring me out of purgatory or something. It's just, it's a horrible, 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 very, very dangerous, dangerous doctrine. Postmortem evangelism is another um, uh, 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 thing that many 
young evangelicals is starting to have kind of a resurgence amongst liberal um, evangelicals who, who um, uh, just have difficult time with hard truths. And, that, and one of the texts that's often pointed to for post-mortem evangelism, meaning that after you have died, that maybe some people get a second chance uh, and that Jesus comes and preaches to them, maybe especially people that have never heard the gospel or something like that. And this comes from 1 Peter 3, verse 18, 19, and 20. And it says, For Christ also, let me get my glasses here. This, this tent groans, awaits for the 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So that's the question. Who are the spirits in prison? Because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Well, this is a notoriously difficult passage to understand and interpret and it's been debated for centuries. Um, but the question is, who are these spirits that um, are in prison? And there's been three um, kind of general uh, 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 views on this. One is that they are fallen angels and that Jesus went and preached to them to kind of condemn them. The other view that um, would hold to this post-mortem evangelism is that they are um, people that have died that maybe haven't had the chance to hear about Jesus. And so this is like a, their proof text that, ah, see, you know, the, the, the uh, islander in the Pacific that's, you know, in some primitive culture that's never heard about Jesus. Um, this is kind of his chance to either accept or not accept Jesus. All sorts of problems with that view. Number one is, is that people are not born neutral. We're born sinful by nature. And Romans 1 tells us that man is without excuse. And we don't have time to get into that argument. We talked about those that are not evangelized and how all people are guilty before God. So that argument does not hold water biblically. And then the third uh, um, a view of this is, which I think is probably, uh, probably the best, is that this is speaking about the unsaved people in Noah's day. And then when it says that Jesus was preaching to them that the Spirit of Christ is really proclaiming the gospel through Noah, who was telling them really the gospel in seed form, you know, repent of your sins and, and get on the ark. That's, I think, probably been the majority traditional view. There's a few others as well. Um, so that post-mortem evangelism view just does not hold water. Uh, we read earlier Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto all men to die once and after that the judgment. And again, do you just see how post, this idea that maybe somebody can be evangelized after they're dead just undermines and is heretical because it can leave people in their sins and does a tremendous damage to the gospel. And then another unbiblical view, um, which actually some relatively faithful people, some very faithful people in church history have actually believed this, and I think it's wrong, is annihilation, annihilationism, meaning that those that are, are wicked, that are outside of Christ, when they die, um, they, are, they are nightly cease to exist. But again, we could spend a lot of time just reading verses that talk about the eternality of hell. Jesus says in Mark chapter 9 that hell is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And many, many other verses that talk about how hell will endure forever. And again, do you see how this view of annihilationism 
will undermine evangelism. Do you see that? Because, I mean, th- th- this, is, this is the view of the majority of the world. This is the YOLO. You only live once, right? And so their wager is, you know, if there's a God, well, I'm not really, you know, okay, maybe I'm missing out on heaven, but I'm just going to be annihilated. So, so just do whatever you want to do because there's no consequence, right? And do you see how these views, when, when faithful Christians adopt them, they, they really undermine uh, the gospel and, and they're just clearly un, unbiblical. And then finally, and we'll draw a little picture here to get you, give you a sense that this, we, from all of this, we compiled this clear uh, teaching in the scripture that there is a difference between what, like if, if a meteor were to hit, you know, cross point tonight, and we were all in Christ and we were all to die, we would, from what we've read, our bodies would go into the ground and our spirits would immediately go and be with the Lord. But where we would be at that point is not the heavens, the, 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 the new heavens and the new earth that will eventually come. Because we're going to read about here in the resurrection that there is a new heaven and new earth and an eternity that awaits us at Jesus' return that won't be sort of this intermediate state. So, so let's draw this out. So here is, here we are. This is a person and this is the moment of death right here, okay? And then they're going along and it's before Jesus has returned, okay? And then Jesus returns and depending on your millennial view and we won't get into those weeds again today so don't get excited boys and girls. I know you want a little bit of controversy tonight but you're not going to get it. You're just not going to get it. When Jesus returns, whether the judgment happens then or after the millennium or whatever, let's just say for the sake of simplicity of argument, Jesus returns, we've got the judgment, and at this point here, then the new heavens and the new earth and eternity begins, then this is when Revelation 20 and 21 speak about this new heaven, this new earth, the consummation of all things. And we'll read about it in a second in 1 Corinthians 15 where our bodies and our soul are reunited. And so this is Will Hawk's favorite text in the Bible because he's one of those weird zombie lovers, right? And he just loves the idea of like people coming up from the grave. The good news is, and I always try and tell Will this, is we're not going to be like those ugly zombies and walking dead. We're, our bodies are going to be glory. He knows that, but I just get on him. We're going to be glo- so, so there's this waiting period where there is this resurrection which we're going to read about in a second. And at this resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a reuniting of our bodies which are now made new and glorified with our spirits that have been in heaven. So at the moment of death, our bodies go into the ground. Right? And our spirits... Or soul, however you want to say that, are in heaven. But this is a, in Randy Alcorn in his book, which I think is a very helpful phrase, he says there's a difference between this present heaven, or this intermediate state, and the new heavens and new earth that will come after the return of Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? So he says, it's kind of like this, he says, but you, I mean, you're in heaven, so if you have a loved one that has passed on, they're in heaven. But it's not a final and fully consummated kingdom of heaven yet, right? Now, it's way better than this 
bad boy. I mean, I, you know, it, to be, it is better by far, Paul says in Philippians 1. So there's no lack here. But it gets even better. And we're going to read about that in a second. So there is this sort of present heaven. And this right here between death and the resurrection is what is called theologically the intermediate state. Right? And that's, um, that's where we will be if we die before Jesus returns. Any questions about that? Let's get a microphone because we're recording this, Mark. Anybody got, we got some runners? No? Oh, Bill Harrison, all right. Right here, Mark, front row. Raise your hand, Mark. The body and spirit reunite after the resurrection. Yes. Okay. Well, that, was, that was easy, all right. <laughs> I have a question for you. Ooh, goodness. Talk to me, so Cindy. So when does the judgment happen? Well, the, the, you, you want to get me back in the weeds. You want me to get controversial tonight, don't you? But you're not. Yeah, I mean, some people would say, that all millennialists would say that the judgment and the resurrection all happen at the same time. The premillennialists would separate out the judgment, uh, the, the resurrection and the judgment. So, kind of... Say, I can't hear you. So we get to just hang out with Jesus till we get judged? Well, historic premillennialists would, would probably be the, the, believe, the judgment of the believers would be right here. And that the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the unbelievers would be at the final, final end. If you're viewing the millennium, Jesus' return is coming before the millennium. Um, secondary issues, but yeah, yeah. Good question. Somebody else? One more question okay. on the question row. Yeah. When does chronological time stop? I mean, have yeah. believers that died 500 clock years ago yeah. beat me to heaven by 500 years? You know, that's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer to it. I, I, I think that um, Grudem in his, in his book, um, Systematic Theology, has a paragraph on time and the sort of um, the eternality of time and that time is part of the created order and I can't really remember what he says but that's a wonderful thought Jay I don't know the answer to that yeah I don't know the answer to that I, I was about to um, mention something yeah. about, about that before he asked the question yeah and then I got my question okay <laughs> the, the, the way you represented it as a, as a straight line that's how we see it mm -hmm. but if you're talking about eternality or uh, con continuity, yeah. then you should do a circle. Yeah. Not, not a line. Right. So it will be just not a line, so yeah. a circle. So th yeah. there, is no, there is no loss between us and the people before us or, yeah. or after us. Yeah. Because it's, it's, yeah. it comes around. Yes. It's, like, it's like the saying, there is no new, good uh, new news, but uh, old news mm -hmm. to new people. So it's, mm -hmm. it's everything just comes around. That, that was yeah. about the, the representation. That's good though. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. So what you call the immediate heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The present heaven. Present maybe? heaven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So th that is what Jesus mentioned as a paradise. Yeah. Uh, so that's where that thief on the cross is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which is not, but I mean, but you know, the Bible's going to use these things interchangeably. Heaven, paradise, par you know, so, 
I'm just saying that there is this heaven, paradise, whatever you want to call it, you know, by different biblical terms. And Frank wants to, uh, Paul, Frank's had his hand up for a while. I think he's got a mic. Oh, he's got a mic. Um, is that it, it's awaiting its final consummation after the resurrection and judgment. Yeah. We, and after the, the glorification of the believers. Yeah. Frank. Check. A couple things. I didn't know whether I should bring it up, but we're talking about it anyway. Yeah. First off, in my study of hell and death and Sheol and Hades, to me it seems like, and I think it's perfectly compatible with what you're talking about, there seemed to be a cataclysmic change in the position after our physical death when Christ died. The Old Testament consistently talks about Hades and Sheol, and everyone who dies goes there. Even the Apostles' Creed talks about he descended into hell, speaking of Christ. Yeah. And it would also be compatible with the Peter scripture where he descended into hell, broke the gates of Sheol and Hades, and created a new paradise. He saved, he took his holy ones, he took those who had faith and revealed the mystery that had been hidden all the time, mm -hmm. all in time before that. Mm -hmm. That's my first point. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way I look at it, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, anyway, yeah, it's compatible. Yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I, I think that's a, that's a good thought, but even that um, post-resurrection of Jesus, heaven is still not. It still awaits a further and final, even a consummation, at the at the second coming of Jesus. Okay. The other point has to do with we we're just talking about a timeline. God, as we would all agree, is beyond time. In my mind, now this I can't I can't defend scripturally, but I can't also can't say that it's wrong. When we die, the way I picture it is we immediately go into a state of timelessness. And we immediately go to meet at that time in second, Phili uh, second chapter of Philippians where every knee shall bow, every mm -hmm. tongue confess, on the earth, under the earth, over the earth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Then comes the judgment. I will be there the same time as somebody did a thousand years ago because when we die, we step out of that time yeah. and we immediately go into paradise. Yeah. That's, that's the way I look yeah. at it. I don't have a biblical basis for it, but... Yeah. But that we, we're all going to get there at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, all, I'm all for that. Yeah. Yes, yes, ma'am. And then coming to you, Melanie. I thought when my mom always told me when a person get ready to go up to heaven, the Lord flashes your whole life from birth until all the things you have did in front of your eyes. Like you see everything you've been mm -hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and we're going to get to that in just a moment when we get to judgment. Yeah, and we're going to, yeah, how he, we do, um, there is a sense that we have to give an account for every deed that we've done. So you're right, and we're going to get to that at, 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 at the end in judgment. Melanie, did you have your hand up? Uh, yes, I, oh, I'm sorry. Did you guys um, bring your own microphones? There's microphones everywhere. What's I, going on? Bill gave it to me. <laughs> um, What's going on here? <laughs> maybe I'm just missing something, but yeah. I, I, honestly... I don't see why we care if somebody made it 500 years before us. Uh, it's also what we don't deserve. Yeah. And I, so <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I so so we're what, competitive so alpha males, Melanie. That's what we do. We compete. We don't want. No, I'm just kidding. You're, yeah. yeah. No, you're, I mean really. So yeah. so so what is, you know, for the people who've asked the question. Yeah. I mean. Why are you asking the question? And I don't mean that in an ugly way. Yeah. I truly don't. Yeah. I just want. No, I, I think we're just. I think we're just speculating about it. I don't, oh, okay. I don't, yeah, I think people are just kind of wondering. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just thought, yeah. am I yeah. missing yeah. something here? Because so those I, of you that ask that question, you need to see Melanie after this. And no, no, yeah, no, you're. I know. I know exactly. You. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I think we're just kind of brainstorming a little bit. But 
Yeah, somebody else. Yeah, somebody else brought their microphone. John. Oh, Ashley, Hello. talk to me. How are you? Hi, how are you? Como estas? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Um, sorry. Um, so I had a question, but then I had another question because you said something else. So really quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so are we going to be I judged? thought this was going to be like an easy night. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. No, go ahead. not talk with us me. here. Yeah. Um, so, so are we going to get judged when we die, or do we have to wait for Jesus' resurrection and judgment then? Yeah, now that's a, that's a really insightful question. Um, I think that there is a, a judgment, like at the moment of death, uh, unto life or, or unto heaven or, or, or hell, right? And that is whether you're in Christ or not. Clearly, that, that in, is a judgment in a sense, yes. But as your friend next to you has, has mentioned that the Bible also speaks, which we'll get to, about a more specific judgment that even believers will have to go through um, that have I even been in heaven, you know. And I, whether that happened, I don't know. I mean, that's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a timing questions about all that. We'll, 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 we'll have to figure that out someday. But yeah, we'll read those scriptures in a second. Second question. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, okay. don't be, now, 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 when I say judgment, don't think fear or think... You know, Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So don't be, let's, let, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second. But, right, but there is a sense in which we're, we're judged. Yes. Okay, so my real question was, are you going to touch on, um, I think I, I read a verse the other day in Revelations about a thousand years of peace. Mm -hmm. and then the devil being loose after that yeah. or something? Yeah, Ashley. Um, we actually handled that last two weeks. Um, and so you're, you're going to ha have to go and get that. Yeah. See, you're just trying to draw me back into the, into the weeds. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. So I got Ken. the mic. Oh, okay. Go ahead, John. John, then Ken. So uh, <laughs> just to, to be the uh, other side of the question about I, I do believe eternity is so different than what we're living in right now or the state we're in right now mm -hmm. that we really can't understand it. Mm -hmm. And I don't really try to. But there is a place over in Revelations where it asks the question, how long will it be before you avenge us mm -hmm. uh, on the earth? Mm -hmm. You know, the souls of those that were uh, slain and martyred mm -hmm. for Christ. And he said to wait a little while longer. Mm. So... Everybody ain't there yet during mm -hmm. that time. Now, maybe they won't have any memory mm -hmm. or knowledge of that later when everybody gets together. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. but in a sense, there are people. And the other thing is it said there's a great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. Well, what's, what's that about? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yep. somebody's up there. Yep. Yep. Amen. Sam. Is there, well, is there an intermediate state for hell and like a final state for hell? Because I know, like in Revelation 20, it talks about the lake of fire. I mean, mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, it mentions Sheol. Can you explain? Yeah, that's a really good question. I thought about that as I was preparing this week. And um, a couple things I read is that, that uh, a couple of the theologians said that there's just not much said about it. Um, but I think that we can deduce that there is, you know, to be separated, there is... There is there is gnashing of teeth. There is, you go to the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But then at the judgment, the great white throne judgment for unbelievers, 
I think it might make sense that at that f- that the finality of the consummation of the glory of God, um, where it seems like the new heavens and new earth will be consummated and there will be a, dare say, an increase in the experience and joy of believers, which I don't think will ever stop increasing because God is to be enjoyed infinitely forever, I think at that point there does seem to be the sense that there will be this kind of throwing into the lake of fire and there will be an intensification. So from that I think we can probably deduce that there is a corresponding intermediate. But I, I just, I'm kind of stepping out on speculation there. It's a good question. Ken, did you have a question? Uh, yeah, we're kind of off topic now. Yeah. But this goes back to the judgment. Yeah. Um, I'm always under the impression that I was judged at the cross at the point of salvation. There is no judgment for me to get to heaven. Absent with the bodies, present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. The only other judgment that I'm going to see is the judgment of the believers. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Okay. Confusing to me about a judgment to get to heaven. I was like, I, I don't believe. No, 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 no. Well, what the sister in front of you was saying is there. There is a. a, 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 a by the word judgment, yeah, there's, I, an, a, there's an assessment. Obviously, which the Lord already knows. Right. Are you in Christ? Or are you out of Christ? But somebody somewhere was saying that there was a judgment to get to heaven. And I was like, I, no, no, uh, no, no, okay. no, no, no. But. Uh, but, but, but once believers are in heaven, there is this future judgment of believers. It's not like, it's not like you've been in heaven, the meter's sitting and like, we checked the books again, man. And, you, know, you came up short. No, no, not, not like that. Not, no, no. Yeah, that'd be tough. Okay, well, let's keep going. You guys, um, you guys are asking great questions, but I do, I do want to get through this. So, so, does this kind of make sense? Intermediate state, death, intermediate state. Now is when we just, praise God, get into the resurrection. There will be a resurrection of both believers and unbelievers. And again, let's not get too caught up into the timing of that. Different millennial views will split maybe some of those resurrections up at different times between um, believers and unbelievers. All millennialists would have them together. Premillennialists would um, split them apart. But again, that's, that's kind of not super important for tonight. So let's read some scripture here. There will be a resurrection. Uh, both believers, John 5, uh, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now that is not speaking about we're saved by our works. We're talking about this root of grace that only God gives that brings about um, our, our, our righteousness. Um, so there's this clear judgment. Now we see in Matthew chapter 25, and just for the sake of time, time I'm not going to read it, but that's a really important passage where Jesus clearly speaks at the end of the age when he comes that he will divide all of humanity between the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep he will say, come to me and you know, be with me forever. And the goats are, are separated from his presence forever. And as I read that, I think about, you know, guys, there are always... I think I mentioned this a while back, friends. There are always, to some degree, there will always be sheep and goats intermingling in this life, in this age. There will always be wheat and weeds or wheat and tares. And part of our responsibility as a church is not to let goats think that they're sheep, but to be clear with them that they're not goats. Remember that quote I read a couple weeks ago from William Steele, that Scottish pastor? He says, let's not try and entertain goats in the sheep pasture. Let goats be goats out in goat land. The best way we can love goats is by being clear with them. And we're not talking about firing, beating people over the head with a Bible and standing in the middle of the public square saying, you know, turn or burn. But we're not going to love people by telling them that they're okay with a holy God when they're not. That's the big problem with, with homosexuality. It's not that we have some, you know, 
burr under our saddle about homosexuality. We have a burr under our saddle about sin and we're serious about it. And we realize that if we as Christians believe what the Bible says and we just let people stay in their sin, that we imperil them in the face of a holy God. And we tell goats that they're sheep. Anyway, there I go again. So, yeah, that's a huge deal. Where am I? Okay, letter B there. And then salvation is not complete until our bodies are raised and we are glorified. So that's what we were getting at. So let me jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So this is going to start to piece together this moment here, right? We've read about how to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know our bodies are in the ground. Then what does the Bible say about this resurrection? So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Super important chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read a good bit of it. Start in verse 12. I'll read it fast, so hang with me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And so Paul is putting all of his eggs in the basket and he's saying that Christ literally came back from the grave in flesh and blood. It's a glorified flesh and blood. And that is our hope. We will be like him someday. And if that's not true, then everything we're doing here is in vain, he says. Verse 15, for we are even... For we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So Paul's saying if there's no resurrection, then even Jesus didn't come back from the dead. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. A couple years ago, a very famous not very famous, but a well-known leader of a well-known mainline American denomination was asked the question, if you could, a hypothetical question, if you could sort of with some certainty, empirical evidence, if we could prove that the resurrection didn't happen, would you still be a Christian? And he said, well, yes, I would still be a Christian because Jesus has been risen in my hearts and his teachings were so powerful that... And Paul is saying the actual opposite. He's saying, you know what? If Jesus didn't conquer death in the flesh, then we're... This is a joke. Then he's saying, Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And he's putting all of his eggs in one basket, and, and, and I love that. And which gets you to the point, friends. Christianity at its core is not ethics and morality and teaching. It is the supernatural event of God conquering death. I mean, it's supernatural. It's, it's, it's a miracle. It's miraculous. It's not a set of propositions that can out-rationalize the world. It's a miracle. We believe crazier things than the fact that a man should be married to a woman. We believe that God became a man, died, and came back to life. That's crazy. Amen. <laughs> Verse 18, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, okay, let me skip ahead to verse uh, 35. But someone will ask, <laughs> how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. 
And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is the one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. In other words, this mortal life, that seed goes into the ground. What is raised, the resurrected life and body, is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's sinful. It's fallen. It's raised in glory without sin. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. So this natural seed goes into the ground, dies, and is raised a spiritual resurrected body. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And lest we be tempted that Paul is spiritualizing this and saying that we're just raised spiritually, Jesus came back in the flesh. Remember, that was his argument at the beginning of 15, that it is this glorified resurrected flesh. So we could keep reading, but Paul is hanging all of his argument on the fact that we will be like Jesus. So believers will receive resurrected bodies like Christ. Philippians 3 um, verse 21 says that he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. So that's why it's so important at the end of John where Jesus is telling uh, John, put your finger in my hand, put your sight, you, he can touch. That's why it's so important that Jesus has this meal on the beach with the disciples after the resurrection. Those are things that the Holy Spirit is writing into the Bible to show us that Jesus has real but now glorified flesh. So we shall be like Jesus. And then 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be at the resurrection has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we will have this resurrected body. And God will unite our bodies, which are ashes, which may be disintegrated, which may be blown up by war, obviously turned into dust by the supernatural, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise our ashed bodies and reunite and we will be glorified like Jesus in our glorified bodies. Now what does that glorified body look like? How old will we be? I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know. I mean I don't know. But I do know this. If we think in terms of the fact that we're all going to look like, you know, the guys are going to look like George Clooney and Brad Pitt and the girls are going to look like, I don't know, Giselle Bunchkin and Tom Brady's wife or whoever, Jennifer Aniston. I think we're thinking way too low. Here's what, here's what this, this author says that wrote a, a real helpful book on this. The pattern, it's called What Happens After I Die. The pattern for the Christian's everlasting body 
is not a sultry young model sauntering along a Paris fashion runway. Nor is it the muscle boy with his oiled six-pack abs and three days without a razor stubble on his squared chin. The spiritual body of resurrection will be more permanent and attractive to behold than its weak physical predecessor could ever be. Because his prototype is the risen form of Jesus. A new mode of attractiveness. And by the way, it's attractiveness that's not tainted by the rummage of sexual sin, right? Praise God. A new mode of attractiveness is seen in him. Paul wrote, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. So he goes on to say that how, the, the glorified body, I mean, we could spend all night talking about that. Who knows what, who knows what it's going to be like? Will babies that die in infancy, will they be mature adults? I think that's probably a, a natural deduction. I don't know. But it will be glorious because we will be like Jesus. Praise God, right? Praise God, whatever that looks like. Um, okay, a couple things there. We noted it's imperishable, uh, it's glorious, it's powerful, it's spiritual. Doesn't mean that it's disembodied. We'll have real glorified flesh. A couple implications of the resurrection. One is just the importance of the body. We, like, the, the body we have now, it's not like the better we take care of it, the more glorified our body will be. But I think that Christians... Um, and this gets into point number two there, is that we should reject sort of a, the, the myth or the, the false view of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is, was a view, especially in the early church, that viewed the, that the only thing in the universe that was important was the spiritual realm, and the physical realm just had no consequence at all. And that led to all sorts of sin, because so there were some people um, that were... Uh, kind of following this Greek philosophy and they were saying, well, the only thing that's really important is the spirit and the body is of no importance at all. And that's one of the reasons Paul, uh, that John wrote, 1 John, to talk about the, the reality of Jesus' flesh, that Jesus came in the flesh. And what were the consequences of Gnosticism? Well, if my heart is right with God, then that's okay and I can do whatever I want with my body because my body doesn't matter, right? And you can see how that can lead you into all sorts of sin. And I think Christians can be kind of caught up into this today that, well, you know, I can just kind of do whatever because, you know, I, I'm going to get a glorified body. I think that as we look at the glorified body that is to come, it, I think it gives like even more weight and importance to even just this physical world that we're in. And so um, I think that we should we should realize that, yeah, all of this will be renewed. Our whole bodies, this whole creation will be renewed. But I think it should push us into a greater appreciation uh, for the temple, even the temporary temple that we do now have that, that, that houses our spirit. So any questions about the resurrection before we get into the judgment? Any questions at all? So you guys were all excited about death, but nothing on the resurrection. Oh, all right. Very cheerful crew I got in here tonight. Sam. So are unbelievers, they're also getting a new body? Ah, uh, the Bible, I, yeah, the Bible doesn't say, you're, you're on that point. You're, you're, you're sniffing this out. Yeah, it's, a, it's very insightful. Doesn't really say much about, the Bible doesn't really speak to that that I know of. I, I searched for that. Because there is yeah. a bodily resurrection of all people, correct? Yeah, I would, I would think that, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. That I, th I, I think that they will be raised, yes. Okay. But it doesn't, I don't think the Bible gives us any passage like 1 Corinthians 15, which is speaking about believers for unbelievers. Okay. So that's a good question. I don't know, Sam. Yeah, Lewis. 
how do you see the um, Jesus story of Lazarus mm -hmm. um, talking about the rich guy who was yeah. in hell and then Lazarus who was in Abraham's um, arms yeah. kind of way Abraham's bosom yeah yeah, I think Abraham's bosom, some people have thought, well, is that purgatory? Is that sort of this waiting place? Is that show? I think that's just a, a, a Hebrew mindset for heaven. I think that, I think that is that, that rich man, I think that that's heaven and hell there that's going on. So you, you take it more literally, like he, he, was, he was making a point, but he was actually describing what he was, uh, was, was going to be? Yeah, I think that that, that I think that that parable that Jesus offers there, that story in Luke chapter 16, is just underlining the uh, the uh, the once and for all that once you die, there's no opportunity because the the rich man is begging, like to go you know put in a good word for me or tell my other you know. So th there's this sense that the the that the, the judgment death is final. And, um, and I yeah, think I, I agree with you that yeah. the idea of, of the living doing something from the dead yeah. is erased on that story. Right. They, there's nothing right. they can do. And even right. if we send prophets, they're not going to believe it. That's right. what he said. But um, the, 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 the description of hell right there, like the way he described hell as a, um, not, not as a place where you are completely absent of the presence of God because, you know, that will contradict Psalms 139. Yeah. said God is everywhere. Yeah. So if God is everywhere, then it will be a place where he's not it. It's more like you know that God is there, but you cannot access to yeah. him. Like yeah. you're cast out, right? Yeah, yeah. And how dreadful that would be. And everything is like yeah. suffering. Like yes. you you all thirsty and all uh, um, mm -hmm. want to sleep and can, and yeah. you all restful and cannot rest and all kind of yeah. Yeah. hungry, the, cannot eat, all yeah. that. The active, eternal judgment and punishment of God on you. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a, yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into judgment. I'm flipping the page there. Believers will be judged. Getting into a little bit of the discussion we had earlier. Um, so Romans chapter 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So there's this sense that, of course, this isn't, we're not earning our salvation by any stretch of the imagination. But there's this sense that we will give an account. We read it a little bit earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there will be judgment, and it seems that also that there will be degrees of rewards for believers. So let's read, and then let's stop and make a few comments, because we're getting into, I think we've got to be real careful about how we say things here. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. So Paul's speaking to Christians here. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as 
through fire. So there's this clear sense, and we could read in Luke as well. We won't have we don't have time to do that. That there's this this giving of account of our deeds and degrees of reward for believers. Now, that brings up all sorts of questions, I realize. This is not anything that Christians need to fear is a condemnation. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me skip down to letter D there. We may ask, why is this final judgment necessary? Here's just the kind of the best answer I can give you. Can't point to a Bible verse. Just kind of thinking about this, reading some things that Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, had to say about this, is that this final judgment for believers, not judgment to salvation or hell, but this final accounting of our deeds, is there not to shame us, but to, to really want put on display the glory of God right, to, to like before our eyes, as this sister said earlier, to just make us before whatever, whether it's at Jesus' return or after the millennium or whatever, this accounting of the detail of God's saving work in our lives will serve to increase our joy and thankfulness for what God has done for us than it would have if we would have just kind of, just kind of, boom, you know, like the experience that we have on this earth, like, yeah, we know we were jacked up, but, you know, God saved me, and I think he saved me from a lot of stuff, but there's coming that day when, when everything will kind of be exposed, and I will give an account, and what will happen in that moment is because I'm covered in Christ, I won't feel any condemnation, but it will serve to deepen the display of his glory in my life, and the joy that I feel in being saved from this, this, uh, this account of, of every deed. And then Edwards has this wonderful uh, sermon and writing on how when we think about rewards, let's say Cindy gets more rewards than I do, and in, in one sense, I'm, and I don't even think that's hypothetical, I think we can go ahead and bank on that, is that, 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 we're kind of viewing it from this earthly thing. I mean, immediately, immediately I have to sort of think about how I have less than her. But heaven is, I mean, it's a, it's a revert, it's a, it's a world of love. And so I will actually, because there's no sin, we're not tainted by any of these fallen things in us, because Cindy is experiencing maybe greater reward my joy will increase that she's, I mean, do you see? I mean, it's just kind of, everything's reversed and everything's wonderful and beautiful. And I'm, I'm like experiencing more pleasure because she's experiencing more reward. And that, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's so wonderful, right? It's just so wonderful. Can you imagine being free from every ulterior motive, every little competitive thing in us? That's heaven, man. And praise God for that. That's the best I can do for you as to the purposes of, of this judgment. Anybody else have any thoughts on that or questions? Yes, Melanie. Let me get, let me, let's get the mic. I thought you brought your own mic tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we got to record it. Is, it, is there some place in heaven, it seems like, I mean, in, in the scriptures, that talks about us throwing, giving our crowns to the Lord? Yeah, well, there's, I think we see that in that text that we read um, this last Sunday in First Thessalonians. Um, and, well, I wanted to verify that. So, along those lines, one of the things that's been helpful 
to me in thinking about you know the purpose of rewards because you know we've all heard so many people say oh well I won't care I'll just be so glad that I yeah. got there I've thought about the fact that, you know for instance there have been times when my husband gave me a present and it was a glorious present yeah how much better I felt receiving that yeah when I had something good to give back to him versus oh well I've just been flipping about this whole thing yeah. and the same thing with Christ in the same yeah. manner it talks about we have um, you know these crowns and some will be wood hay and stubble yeah I don't want a Burger King crown to throw yeah, at Jesus right. feet yeah I want yeah. something that's gonna be good and yeah. so I think that motivation yeah it, it, I think it motivate I think it serves as a matter we get to that point either is it serves as a motivation for holy living I think certainly absolutely and so I think we need to take that in um, I, I don't think we, we can clearly see unbelievers will be judged I don't think we need to read those scriptures you can read them on your own there will be a great white throne judgment there will be degrees of punishment for unbelievers as well that you can read about there uh, angels will be judged in fact first Corinthians 6 says that we will judge angels um, and so uh, that that's a that's a, a an interesting thing to think about so judgment um, is not something that we should um, um, fear in the sense of dreading condemnation, but it, it's something that should cause us to be very, I, I think you hit that r right on the nose, Melanie, is it should cause us to long for more joy and, and adoration and glory in God. And, um, and that's, that's what judgment is. Okay, let's finish up. Yeah, somebody back here? Yeah. Um, you know, I, is that I wanna, Aaron? Aaron, yeah. hey, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> hey, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, do you think there's any place for uh, regret uh, for for a believer looking you know in heaven looking back on their life not the kind of regret that's um, you know demoralizing where it just you know keeps you in sadness but do you think that there there could be yeah. a person who who looks back on um, you know the way that they live their life whether that's at the time of the believer's judgment or not yeah um, and there is you know maybe a, a kind of sorrow for missing opportunities to make much of Christ yeah. um, you know maybe maybe the person on their deathbed who lived like a hellion for their whole lives yeah. Um, and you know, made it made it to heaven through Christ on their deathbed. Is there any place good, for that? It's a good question. Certainly, before 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 we die, I think people experience that. I don't know. I, does anybody have any thoughts on that? I I would say that probably, um, if that's the case, that instant, that moment, there may be you know all these emotions going through, but it'll be swallowed up in joy. Um, so that's a good that's a good thought, Aaron. I'm not sure that I can give you a great. I'd have to think about that, Cindy. As he's answer, as he's asking that, I myself, I'm thinking, it says that we're going to heaven. There will be no sorrow. Yeah. There will be no tears, and there will only be joy. And yeah. we won't have sin, so we couldn't possibly have regret. Yeah. So yeah, everything I think, should be I, I everything think be, should be joyous. And well, and I, would, I think about if if God's going to judge me, which He really <laughs> should, and He has to, I should be so filled with yeah. joy that He yeah. has. The right to do that with. Him. I would think, and now that's, that's good, Cindy, and I would agree with that. I would think that maybe Aaron, that I would, as as sort of all of my deeds are flashed before me, and my sins of omission and commission, things I've done and things I haven't done. That I think what it's going to do, I think maybe it's going to serve to deepen. It's not going to serve to cause me to have regret. It's going to serve to deepen my gratitude and joy for my salvation. I think is how I would say that probably. Okay, let's just fly through this. The eternal state, new heavens and the new earth. God will renew creation. 
life in the new heavens and new earth. Um, I'm going to read Romans 8 and Revelation 21 here in a second. We're not going to be disembodied angels floating around in white robes playing harps. We'll eat and drink. Uh, there will be a great city. There will be relationships and culture, I think the Bible points at that. We will not be married, but there, I think there's no indication that we won't know about, I mean, that we won't be very close to our family. All relationships will be redeemed. If questions come up, what about those that have been divorced? And how, There will be no marriage in heaven, but there will be um, just the perfection of all human relationships, and our fellowship with God will be unhindered. Clearly, the final state of the unrighteous will be hell. We've read about that already. Mark 9 speaks about this place where the worm is not, um, does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, and let me read Revelation 21 and then we'll look at some implications. And just one of the, I think just one of the most encouraging uh, passages in Scripture, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, so this is not the, this is not the present heaven. This is the final eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So we see this eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. Not that everything has been blown up, but it has been renewed and it's new and heaven is coming down to earth and it's real and it's physical and our bodies are real and glorified and there's real earth, renewed, glorified earth. Some implications of this, then we'll pray and we'll get out of here, is that the reality of, the, of eternity should motivate us to be on mission for the gospel, to be people who care about eternity, who live in the face of eternity. And then understanding the tension between what we've talked about before in the last couple weeks, the already not yet aspect that we live, like we shouldn't be so in love with this world that we're, we're not concerned about the world to come. But yet, and I've kind of been convicted by this because you know me, I, sometimes I always talk, forget this world and let's just lean into heaven and come on, let's link arms and you know, but yet when we look at the world that is to come, it almost gives like more gravity to the world that we're in because it's real and it's, it's like it's coming down and God is renewing and restoring and, and it's, you see the Bible begins in a garden in Genesis and then in Revelation 22 it ends in a garden. So it's like God is, is giving more credence. So yes, we're leaning forward which, to, to that which is to come, but, but I should sort of practice life in the kingdom that is coming by being a good steward of and witnessing to and caring for what's here, right? So long, so that, that thought, you know, that, I think it's a faulty phrase that that person is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I actually think it's, you can't be of any earthly good unless you're really, really heavenly minded. And when you're heavenly minded, then you will finally and only then be of any earthly good and care about the world and people and, and I'm not talking about hugging trees or doing stupid liberal stuff. I'm talking about you will like really care. Like you will really care about people because they will live forever, right? And so um, let's lean into that and let's, um, let's, uh, let's be people that long for the day that is to come. And if you, um, if you are not trusting in Christ, I, I just pray, pray that God would, even tonight, 
show you um, how beautiful and, and lovely uh, the king is and how lovely his kingdom will be and that God might even use this to melt your heart so that you would turn away from counterfeit joys and rest and hope in the true joy. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, leave this place tonight, uh, put eternity, put the echo of eternity, make it ring louder in our hearts so that we can be people that are so heavenly minded that we can finally be of earthly good. That as we long for your appearing, that our feet would be firmly planted in this time, in this life, and that we would be about your business because the king is coming and we want to be found faithful. Bless these folks, I pray. Bring us back to your house this Lord's Day to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, one more night. Next Wednesday, we'll be talking about Israel and the church. What are the differences between the two? What should Christians think about those very thorny issues about the relationship between Israel and the church? That proves to be a little, a little controversial. <laughs>